I often use the analogy of a rehab center for the artist because, you know, when they have been working so hard from their studios to prepare the projects and all these things that they had, they need a downtime. And that's the best time for artists to come to our studio because working with our team, it always gets the creative juices flowing. Hello, print friends, and welcome to the 67th episode of Pine Copper Lime, the internet's number one printmaking podcast. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. I release weekly podcasts with people in the print world who are doing something a bit beyond the expected. So please subscribe on your podcast listening app of choice. You can also find Pine Copper Lime on Instagram and Facebook. And you can sign up there for our monthly newsletter with print news from around the world, all at pinecopperlime.com. Big news, print friends. This episode marks the two-year anniversary of this little podcast. Thank you so much to everyone who has supported the podcast by listening, sharing it with someone, telling a friend, becoming a Patreon member, or rating and reviewing. And many thanks to every guest who has been so generous with their time and open with their stories. I also want to say a special thank you to our editor, my husband, Timothy Pauschak, who kept putting this podcast together through getting his MFA, from which he's just graduated. I get to do the fun part of talking to these fine folks, and he gets to put the grit to the stone and makes every interview listenable and enjoyable. Believe me when I say, there would truly be no PCL without him. Also, he's super modest and is probably going to try and cut this part out. Tim, I forbid it. With this anniversary, as you may have guessed, we're doing a giveaway on the old Instagram. Our wonderful sponsor, Speedball Art Products, have generously donated two packages for our two-year anniversary. One relief-themed, one screen print-themed. The relief-themed package includes a six-color pro-relief ink set. This is a really fun new item from them. 8x10 mounted lino, a 9x12 mounted lino, an 11x14 Arnhem pad in white, a 9x12 speedy carve, a 6-inch brayer, and a 9.5x11 Arnhem pad in new colors. The screen print set includes... 20 by 24, 305 mesh screen, 18 inch urethane squeegee, 32 ounce process cyan, 32 ounce process magenta, 32 ounce process yellow, and 32 ounce poster black. And last but not least, an 18 inch scoop coder. To check out these products yourself, head on over to speedballart.com to start dreaming. And to enter the giveaway, check out the link in the show notes, or just find us on Instagram at pine.copper.lime. But hurry, Drawings happening 8th of November, 2020. Also, as long as you're future dreaming, the West Virginia University School of Art and Design's printmaking program is still waiving application fees for their MFA and MA programs between now and January 15th. You might recognize the name West Virginia University from my chats with Stephanie Alans and Martin Mazora, both who studied in the printmaking program there. You can apply for free to their MFA and MA programs 
using the code GRWVU25. Assistantships and waiver hours are also available to incoming students. Learn more at artanddesign.wvu.edu or just check out their printmaking professor Joseph Lupo on Instagram at lupo underscore joseph. All of the details are in the show notes. My guest this week is Emmy Yu, the executive director of STPI Creative Workshop and Gallery in Singapore. STPI is a global leader in contemporary printmaking and works on paper, creating unique and quality artworks in collaboration with leading artists from around the world. In this episode, we talk about the history of STPI, its incredible facilities, including Asia's largest paper mill, STPI as sort of an artist rehab, as well as some of the notable artists that have been through their doors. We also learn how Emmy came to STPI, the journey of building the reputation of the institution from uncertain early days to being the first gallery in Singapore to be accepted at Art Basel. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to learn a thing or two with Emmy Yu. Hi, Emmy. How's it going? Hi, Miranda. Nice to talk to you. Nice to be with you. Thank you so much. I'm really glad that we could find a time when our schedules overlapped. And of course, it helps now that I'm in Bangkok. And so I'm only an hour time difference away from Singapore. Yes, <laughs> That works things yes. out. And, you know, I have known about STPI, I think, you know, since my time working at Davidson Galleries in Seattle, which was quite a few mm. years ago now. And I'd always been really curious about sort of how it came to be and some of the details of what you do. And so this is definitely a bit of an indulgence on my end as well, just to learn more. And so just kind of to get started, you know, so for people who don't know, STPI stands for Singapore Tyler Print Institute. And That's right. the Tyler in that title is, of course, Ken Tyler. And yes. so maybe just to begin with, how did Tyler's studio and his printing presses end up being shipped from New York to Singapore for the founding of the Institute? Well, you know, um, I wasn't involved during the time where when he was uh, working with the government on selling from his part, of course, for Singapore to purchase his equipments and some of the uh, works that he had in his collection. But from what I understand is that during the time that Ken was traveling to Australia, when, in fact, when he was traveling to Canberra for, for the National Gallery of Australia, mm -hmm. um, he had a very strong ties with them. And he would always stop by Singapore because you have, I mean, you know, the, the route was there from New York. Right. And he befriended some of the uh, pioneers in the in Singapore for the Western art schools. So we have a LaSalle College of Art. And that was, uh, there was a great contribution from Brother Joseph McNally, who had been in Singapore from the early years, and he himself was a sculptor. Mm. So he was quite instrumental in connecting Ken Tyler to Singapore. Now, Ken Tyler, from what I understand, was always planning to retire because he does he nobody was going to he didn't have any family members who would take over and he was really an avid he loved i mean he loved printmaking right mm -hmm. as we know 
so he was trying he was kind of making plans to somehow continue the practice with TGL but with in other countries and I think there was a company in Japan Dainippon if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken which is a uh, paint company who actually bought a considerable amount of prints that Ken Tyler, from Ken Tyler's collection and they built a museum for it, okay? And they were supposed to take over the print shop as well, but then the, the financial crisis happened in Japan and right. they kind of didn't realize. But while he was traveling to Australia back and forth and he got to know Singapore and during that time, I think it's all about timing. Uh-huh. So Singapore government was really looking into bolstering the art sector uh, during that time. And a lot of plans were being put in place. So just fast forward, that's how he came to Singapore with Brother Joseph Magnoli, which she started and it evolved over. I think it took at least five, six years of this plan to really mature mm. and Singapore government finally approved the purchase of his workshop. And this whole thing has to be credited to my founding chairman, uh, Mr. Liu Taiko, who is a renowned architect. And his father, Liu Kang, is actually a quite well-known modernist painter for our country and for this area. Uh, So Mr. Liu was really instrumental in getting this whole plan approved. And and there we are. We opened to the public in 2002. Yeah. Wow. And so the whole studio, including the printing presses, were just sort of shipped piecemeal and then reassembled. And he was actually on site for that, correct? He came over to oversee everything. Right. So Ken Tala was basically in charge of setting up the entire print shop. And his his dream, actually personal dream, was have everything under one roof. TGL mm. had a workshop and artist studio, but they had no gallery. So basically he wanted everything to be under one roof. And that's what we have. Our building is four floors. Ground floor is the workshop. Second floor is the gallery space. Third floor is kind of a mezzanine. We have our offices. And fourth floor, we have apartments where artists will stay when they come for mm-hmm. residencies. So this was really his dream. And he was he was working very, very hard to plan and design the entire building. And mm-hmm. of course, he's, he's, he was really good at that. And they disassembled all the the machines from his studio and they shipped 40 40 foot containers <laughs> from <gosh>. New York <laughs> to Singapore yeah so we have all of his um now you can't even find the lit the lithostones that he he has a he collected vast amount of lithostones mm-hmm. um Kentala was really a lithographer he fell in love with Picasso's dove lithography if you kind of remember that yeah yeah so he was just he loved the stone so he would just go out and buy all this so we have all of his stones and if I'm not mistaken it's like 40 
4,000 pounds of worth of stones we have. Yeah, it's really beautiful because you can't find them anymore. You know, they've been jetted, they've been discarded, Mm -hmm. they've been used as landfills, you know. And the quality of the stones, a lot of them were from um, Bavarian state of Germany, he told us. And the quality of this on the surf of the surface is just so beautiful once you you know so it's just very special that's amazing i know that stp is in a historical building so there must have been it is like some retrofitting that needed to be yes, done major, i'm sure major, yeah majorly the flooring so basically at the building itself which is um sitting on robertson key along the river and a lot of i guess houses then at back to back then was used as warehouses and this was one of the warehouses and we were told that it was a spice warehouse for one of the banks so what happened was they left the shell but they gutted out the entire inside and and retrofitted to to be able to host very heavy machineries on the ground floor and also reinforce the second floor and the walls for the gallery wow yeah yeah yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. And so I think you've you've already touched on it a little bit, but I know that, you know, STPI is known for its really impressive facilities and location. What's just kind of a rundown of everything that the Institute offers? So basically, STPI is really built for the artists, artist projects. So our core program is to work with the artists and create new works of art. And you know, if you know Ken Tyler, I mean, he really made his name because he was constantly uh, pushing the boundaries of right. the printmaking. But he also had a so much passion for paper and that's when he worked with David Hockney in the 80s to make those beautiful works of the pools and that was made Mm -hmm. with paper pulp so he really was somebody who was so innovative in his thinking and he didn't want to just be a printer that just worked on traditional printmaking techniques as we know. And he, with that spirit, when he founded this STPI together with Singapore government, that was the whole vision of it is that we would work with the artists to continue to push the boundaries of the, of, of all the tech techniques and tech and using the technology that are, that are out, uh, available out there. So when we started, of course, we have all the machineries that he used in his studio, and mostly they're very large format. I mean, he's the one who worked with Rosenquist to make that those amazingly large monumental works of art. Yeah. Um, he did. He worked with Helen Frankenthal on the ukiyo-e prints that she did in the la- later years, in her last years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we have our... I think people, when if they come to see our workshop, it's really about the size, size of the machines that we can hold up to, right? And we have a paper mill as well. So we basically make paper or use the paper as one of the main, I guess, supporting materials, but also as a protagonist. Mm-hmm. So it's not, even though we're, we are print plays, but actually it's more like print and paper. Right. Yeah. Because that paper mill is the largest in Asia. So I feel like that if artists aren't, you know, kind of taking advantage of that and like being, you know, they they must come for that as well as. Yeah. So in order for artists to really maximize their time, 
with us. It's a collaborative project, right? It's not like we're we're different in that we first of all we invite the artist. There's no application process mm -hmm. because we pay for entire cost of the production because we are interested in pushing the boundaries together with the artist. So we push each other to create this project, right? Mm -hmm. So in order for artists to be able to absorb and really kind of understand what we are trying to do it has to be an artist with an experience and who also has command of his or her own practice in the studio yeah you know yeah so there are they have to be really open to ideas they have to be open to trying different things and it's really like um i often in the early years when i was talking to the artists i often use the analogy of a kind of a rehab center <laughs> for the artists mm -hmm. you know because you know when they have been working so hard from their studios to to prepare the projects and and all these things that they had they they need a downtime and that's the best time for artists to come to our studio because working with our team it always get the creative juices flowing. So it's like a new ideas come out. So like they would kind of take time to mm. kind of rethink about what is the next, right? But then with the whole new uh, frontier in front of you with print and paper medium, just completely different things come out. That is sometimes good and bad because um, we've had uh, artist projects that were so different from what they do in the studio. Mm -hmm. So the so for our gallery, who actually is the uh, promoter of these projects, right? And because gallery is a public-facing uh, uh, entity within our uh, unit, when they present these works, they were so different from the studio practice. It was kind of difficult for people to understand, like, how did this come out? Yeah, you know? yeah. So, so it's good and bad, good and bad. But I do think that all in all, at the end of the day, having worked with like over 100 artists, mm -hmm. we see the pattern there. And it's really, it's really satisfying because when I look at all the projects that we've done in different, you know, our collectors' homes or, you know, in our shows and in other shows, it just brings me such amazing memories of the times mm. that we've worked together and the thoughts and the passion and the energy effort that went into it by everybody involved. And I think the artists really love that part. Yeah. Well, listening to you talk about it, I'm realizing that the experience must be so different because so much of what artists do, and particularly artists who are ambitious, creative thinkers, um, which I'm sure is part of what you're, you're after when you invite people, is they're thinking about logistics. And that's a lot of, you know, that gear turning, mm -hmm. like, okay, I want to make like, a giant something. How am I going to do that? You know, and, and coming to STPI, you're probably you're met with a, a staff of people who are there saying, you know, we know these logistics inside and out. What do right. you want to make? And that's got to right. be such a different creative experience for them. And of course, like any creative endeavor, you know, putting yourself in a new environment, you're going to blossom in ways that you maybe never could have expected. Right. I mean, you know, that is the positive part, but it could also be quite daunting for the artist mm. because you have suddenly like 15 people waiting for your direction. Right. And that's a huge responsibility. <laughs> and also when artists come to look at our STPI gallery space, which is quite large, I mean, our gallery space is something like 400 square meters. We have mm. a very large space. So then, you know, artists is, oh my gosh, I have to fill this <laughs> right. entire gallery with the project that I'm going to do. So 
So it, it's really about how, I mean, some artists react very, I mean, all artists react differently, you know, but we are very open. And, you know, I've had experiences with artists. They are so worried about filling the gallery. And mm -hmm. I just said, no, you don't have to fill the gallery, you know, yeah. because I and, and then or some artists like, what are we going to I don't know anything about printmaking. I was like, you don't have to know anything about printmaking. We have our printers yeah. for you for that reason. You just have to just see what comes out. So so a lot of times I also use the analogy of restaurant our workshop hmm. to compare to the restaurant because the ingredients that we offer to the artists who are the visiting chefs right uh -huh. we offer the same thing and but they cook the, the 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 meals that come out or the dishes that come out are so different from every artist yeah. but the ingredient is the same. We offer the same thing. We have the same amount of people, same amount of things. So just basically, it, that's why it really depends on the caliber of the artist, how they can handle and manage this entire project with people, the resources that we have. So it actually turned out to be that we really make the artists work very uh -huh. hard. Those were, the, those were the responses that I have gotten. I mean, they were telling me now that when I think back, whenever they said, they were, of course, saying it jokingly. But now when I think about it, like, were they, like, not happy? You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, I remember this specifically. Chiju Jay, one of my favorite artists, he came to do a project in 2007. And he said, Emmy, I stayed in SDPI 40 days all together, not all at once, but all together because they come for, um, they come twice and I made 44 works. Mm. Wow. <laughs> and, and sometimes people are like, oh, did you like Singapore? And then they're like, I only saw SDPI. Right. Yeah. They're like, I don't know that I've really been to Singapore. I've been to STPI. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, but I, I do think that I would like to think that they're very satisfied after the project. Absolutely. Every every one of them. Yeah. Who are some of the other notable artists that you've hosted that kind of come to mind? Uh, well, recently, I mean, you know, in the beginning years, the early years, it was extremely difficult to engage artists that we were hoping to because yeah. we were not people didn't know anything about SDPI. So we had to build up our CV, the credentials, right? So we started working with artists from Singapore and the region. So earlier we worked with Pasita Bhatt. She was like our second artist in residence. Mm. I'm not sure if you know Pasita. No. Um, she's from the Philippines and she's being celebrated. I mean, she passed away about 10 years ago, but she was really an amazing character and she was always full of joy in her life. She did a lot of textile. She incorporated textile work as early as from the 90s. Mm. And she lived in New York. She lived everywhere. So we had Pasita Abad in the studios. Uh, she was the first woman artist to come. We worked with, now they're kind of disbanded, but there was a, a group called Jandala Group from Indonesia. Yeah, yeah. From Yogyakarta with Handi Verman, Alfie Jumaldi, Unizar, 
this group of artists, we worked together. It was really satisfying and amazing um, experience to work with this group of artists. Then, yeah, like Agusuage and Tang, whom, with whom we're still very, very close. Then we started to work a little bit further afield. And that, I think, happened when we invited Ashley Bickerton, who is based in Bali. So he came to work with us. And actually, his project really was a groundbreaking experience for our team because he would, with for his project, we were able to fuse both paper and print together yeah. and making works that are completely not even print, you know? So with his project, I think we started to go, we started to be re- noticed by people abroad because his works were offered in New York by his gallery, Lima yeah. and Mopin. So that's how we kind of start to make the inroads and artists were, I mean, artists became our ambassadors because they had such a great time. They was like, oh, you know, so-and-so should do this. And then they will, you know, build bridges for us to get into contact. So from Ashley, actually, Ashley came because we had Donald Sultan in the very beginning. And then mm-hmm. Donald introduced us to Ashley and then Ashley's. Um, gallery basically looking at his gallery I, I noticed the name Doho Saw who's based in London now but back then he was based in New York and Seoul so I started to approach him and get him to come in so he came in and then we did an amazing project the first round and we're continued to working together even today so we had actually, and then after that, we had we worked with Hegu Yang in very early years in 2009-2010, um, and we continued to work with her as well. Then the other artist that I really wanted to work, wh- whom I met here in Singapore when he was here giving a master class, was Recruit Trevanisha. So, with Recruit and with whom we also continued to work. So. Recreate came in and we did an amazing project. And through Recreate, we met all of his friends who are artists like Tobias Rayberger, Henri Sala. We did a project with him, Karsten Hurler. Yeah, mm-hmm. so like it's just expanding. And we worked with Ryan Gander. His project was also really amazing. Yeah. Yes, and then Chinese. Right now, we started to work with Zheng Fan Zhe. This is like a a, a relationship that started, like I would say, 2004, but it finally came to fruition four years ago. So we are continuing to work with him as well. Now uh, we have projects going on with Sam Duran, Prabhavati Mepail, who is in Bangalore. Yeah, so yeah. it's just a lot. That's amazing. I can definitely see how it's comforting to sort of see when good work is rewarded in just kind of in the world and so to kind of see that like you know you can host artists you can give them this amazing experience and then they'll go out into the world and they'll be as you said your ambassadors and so of course that expands your network and that's yeah yeah, I I really always appreciate seeing that happen yeah yeah I was gonna ask as well how did you get involved in STPI Oh, it was just by chance, really. And, you know, the thing is that, I mean, in life, you just never know. Yeah. But the the funny thing is that I, after, okay, so I was living, I, I'm not a Singaporean. I was born in Korea, but I grew up in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did my schooling in the States. And 
I mean, I got into art business because of our family friend who had a gallery in Italy because I stayed there for a while. Anyway, to, to cut the long story, while I was doing my master's degree in arts administration at, at NYU, and I had already gotten married then, so my husband and I were living in New York, I had to do an internship for this course. Then I applied to, I, w I did one internship at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and then the second internship I did at MoMA, but I wanted to really go into, I was thinking of further studies in art history. So I was actually posted to painting and sculpture department. It's just that the curator then was working on a major, major show. Now I can't remember. And she said, Emmy, I'm really sorry, but I don't think I can have an intern mm. because I have to finish up the show. So would you mind going to another department? And she actually told me to go to print department. Mm. So I interned at the print department. Okay, so then that's the end. Then I finished and I came here because we were expecting our first child. Mm. And my husband, who is Singaporean, he's like, so he's like, Emmy, you know, I tell you really to have a child in New York is really daunting yeah. because the weather is so fierce in the wintertime. And he said, it's also better for you. You would have a better support to live in Singapore. And I was yeah. like, okay. Yeah. So then we came back. So then I had my first child. Then we were not sure what we were going to do. But then I said, okay, while our first child is, is, is you know, growing up, I said, but I need to get, I need to do something. I cannot yeah. just stay home. Then I was very fortunate to have a family friend who knew somebody from the government to say, hey, I mean, just give me your CV. I'll just pass it on. So that's how I got the job. I didn't even know anything about it. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so they said, oh, we're, we, and then I still remember being interviewed by former director of um, Singapore Museum, Mr. Kwok Kian Chow, and he interviewed me. Then Ken Tyler interviewed me, and then I got the job. It's in 2001. Right. So right before the, the grand opening, then. Yeah. So we were, he had already assembled the printers. And he was um, he was assembling the the gallery people. So we started out with three people in the gallery. So speaking of the gallery, you know, we've talked a bit about the workshop side. And as you said, there's two, you know, these two big parts of of what STPI does. Mm. And you were also the, the first gallery in Singapore to participate in Art Basel. And now you're the only gallery in Singapore that does all three editions of that event. Right. What was that journey like for you to kind of build up that side, build up that reputation and get to, you know, get the Institute into these sort of top art events all around the world from, you know, when you started having difficulty, uh, you know, getting <laughs> artists to come because you hadn't, yes. you know, built up your CV yet. Right. Well, you know, um, STPI is a very, very unique model, but I think when, when we started, it was nothing like that has, I mean, ever been done anywhere because while we were a not-for-profit entity, gallery was operating as per any commercial gallery. So people had a lot of difficulty understanding that, and we still have very much, very much of a challenging time trying to fundraise for our programs, right? Mm -hmm. And we are under MCCY, the Ministry of uh, Culture, Youth and Sports and Community here. So, but in the meantime, I mean, in order, it, 
like what I saw, and of course, this is not my only doing. You know, you have to understand that I would, I've been part of this organization for very, from the very beginning, but I've had my predecessor, Mrs. Irene Lee, who was a director for four years. And I think that's the, that was the point. She was with us from 2004 to 2008. She was extremely vital to force in transforming the STPI gallery into who we are. It was she who said, why don't we go to a fair? What stops us from going to a fair? Because all of us, we were just like, okay, we are not for profit, right? So she really took the gallery into the commercial sector. And that's how we started. And I remember going to the the first art fairs that we actually went was SH Contemporary. You were not here then, but this was started by, if you remember the gallery in Geneva, very, very famous gallery, Pierre Hubert. Mm -hmm. He was the gallerist who promoted Maurizio Catalan. And he's the one who promoted Subodh Gupta before anybody else knew. Together with Lawrence Rudolph, he was the Art Basel director for many, many years. So they started something called SH Contemporary back in 2007. They were really ahead of time. And this is the first um, art fair that we participated. And the second art fair in the region that we went was Art HK, which now has become Art Basel Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. So we really worked towards, I mean, after Irene has told us this is the way to sell more artworks because Singapore is way too small, this is mm-hmm. not the right market, but also to build up our credentials. So, you know, it's almost like you have, this is like a double, like it goes in tandem. I really strongly felt that I said to Irene and I said, Irene, we got to get to Basel. This is, if we get into a Basel art fair, it's an acknowledgement and affirmation and confirmation of what we do is the right thing and this is the way we can we can also attract high caliber artists to our residency program and so we were working on this together really really hard we did so much lobbying together Hmm. and you know I mean I was primarily responsible for the programming so I was taking care of all the artists right I mean artist programming but at the same time I was so determined like we gotta get this done Yeah. So this is how we just pushed ourselves. And I think we got very, very, very fortunate. It's also about timing. So we went to Art HK and it was Magnus's fair, Magnus Renfrew, who's now doing Art SG and also Taipei Dang Dai. And he was our director for Art Basel Hong Kong from the very beginning for about five years. He actually, I still remember Irene and I, we really wanted to be making sure that STPI is part of Art HK and we were almost going to not going to be selected mm. and Magnus said like why don't you propose another thing so we actually proposed a solo booth of a, of our project which was God Amer and Reza Fakunde and, and Magnus said our booth was like the best booth at the fair <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, great. so we became a regular participant in Art HK then I was part of the selections committee there then when Art HK was bought by Art Basel Hong Kong, then we became really like part of this whole thing. And then that was in 2012. 
then we were accepted to Art Basel after trying for eight years. Oh my goodness. Eight years. <laughs> eight years send in application and I still remember one year our print uh, our colleagues in the workshops are like Emmy we're going to make a like hand-bound application <laughs> dossier so that they will notice our application. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> we sent in a hand-bound handmade <laughs> dossier. <laughs> oh my god. My colleagues from the print room, they were so amazing. They saw like how much we wanted to do this. So we all worked together on this. So we sent in, but of course we didn't get in. <laughs> oh, that wasn't, so that wasn't the year. That wasn't what did it. Oh my gosh. It was, no, it wasn't the year. But we we were finally accepted to to the fair in 2013. Wow. Yeah. Well, congrats. Yeah. <laughs> that was like, that actually happened right right after our 10th year. That's great. And then so it sounds like, you know, that as you said, like with Singapore being um, just a smaller audience, you know, for which to share the work. Yeah. And so Art Fairs is a huge part of, of what you do. What is 2021 looking like for you, kind of in light of, of COVID, among many other yes. crazy things that yes. have happened this year. Yes. Um, how's that? How's that looking? Well, you know, um, I I would like to take this opportunity to say that SDPI has grown significantly in the last eight to seven years, mm. together with the with the global art market, which kind of when, I mean, last year, uh, Miranda, if you remember, I mean. Every year we would think that, oh my gosh, can this get any bigger or better mm -hmm. or even crazier in terms of prices, right? Yeah. But every year for the last five to six years, we were asking the same thing. Oh, it's shifting. We don't know. It's so uncertain. The ground yeah. is just not stable. But we were just growing, growing, whether good or not, right? But actually it was getting a little bit out of hand. And I remember a lot of interviews that I gave, like there's got to be less fares, less fares, mm -hmm. less fares. Now, I gave an interview earlier this year in January with, um, um, I, I think it was for either Art Basel or Artnet, I can't remember, but basically I was saying, this is like literally onset, at the onset of this whole pandemic period, right? I said to, I said to this, this interview, um, interviewer, I said, you know, I can't believe I'm saying this, but if the fairs don't happen this year, I'm going to miss it. Because yeah. we were complaining, everybody was complaining there were too many art fairs. Yeah. But when, when there was a, this whole prospect of not having fairs for the entire year was looming on my head, I realized then actually we do need a platform mm -hmm. to stand on together to offer all these things to the public. You know, yeah. we need an occasion. So this year has been extremely challenging, not only because we don't have fairs, but also as businesses, also even for my workshop, working with the artists, we basically, my, I, I started to see cancellation of artists coming to Singapore from like beginning of January. Yeah. Okay. So, so then we had to really work hard during the months of April, May, and June. These were the months that we all had to stay home in Singapore. Yeah. The circuit breaker. Just working with my team, management team, to figure out how are we going to pivot, what are we doing, and what are we, what do we need to prepare. 
So this, uh, up until now, I have to say still, we are really trying to adapt changing, you know. So DPI has been really kind of like straddling, you know, with the artist projects that are happening online. Mm-hmm now and which is really we our workshop team has to had to really pivot 180 degrees to to this and the gallery with you know all the most of the arts organizations were not in time with digital development and right. we know that right yeah so, yes we do <laughs> <laughs> yeah we do right yes so we were like okay so now what and with a very small organization, my gallery team is an extremely lean team under the directorship of uh, Rita, who is my gallery director. They were working their behinds off mm-hmm. during this time to pivot onto the digital realm. I mean, I have to really give to them on how much they work so hard. So we are like now, I feel like we have a little breather. I mean, at that time, I didn't see the end of the tunnel. Honestly, Miranda, I was really scared. Yeah, and yeah. I just didn't know what was going to happen. But now I see the, I, I, I feel, I mean, I know where we need to go and everything is becoming much clearer, even in my own head. And I'm planning for how do we go from here? So now when I look at 2021, of course, 2021 is going to be reprisal of the plans that we were supposed to do of this year, 2020, for the gallery in terms of all the shows and the projects. Um, 2021, we are, tr- we will we're trying to equip ourselves much better and nimbler and more efficient online for the workshop because I don't I'm not sure where the artists can still travel or do we do they want to travel right. out here I mean it was already a challenge for artists to come to Singapore from Europe or America because we're so far away you know yeah. so this is going to be a constant learning curve for the workshop how do we actually uh, work with the artists online or better and is there any other way to do it so so when we actually adapt ourselves and now I'm envisioning that the things that are coming out of the workshop the projects will also take a different nature and that is going to also uh, change how the gallery will work and actually before this whole COVID happened with Rita, with Rita, we said, okay, I think it's about time that we start working with our younger generation of artists from Singapore who, mm. who we can bring out to the world to showcase. Yeah. So we had already planned to work with plans to work with artists on an exclusive basis. So, you know, STPI Gallery has only been featuring the projects that were made with us, right? But now we are integrating the program for um, Singapore artists to, I mean, just very slow start because so two of them who have also who are also doing work in our workshop right mm-hmm. so so we are we have put that in place and we're slowly um uh, rolling that out and of course in the art fair realm i don't know what's going to happen i don't think the physical art fair could still take place although art paris guillaume piance i mean i really admire him he worked so hard the, the director of this fair he actually held the physical fair in paris like last earlier this month and i think it went pretty well so i mean you know the fairs 
I'm not sure who's going to open up to have the physical fair, but it's an area that needs to be seen. But in the meantime, I know there are a lot of galleries around the world have formed alliances, like, you know, unofficial alliances in different groups. And they're, uh, they're working together to promote their programs and artists mm -hmm. and offer public some different views from just from the fair. So those things are happening. So I think we will see a 2022 that will, that will be the beginning of, if not, if, I mean, it's already starting but we can see the formation of how the art world is going to emerge post-pandemic uh, around the world and and this is the reason why I'm really putting a lot of time and effort right now on developing C-Focus mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, a project that SDP SDPI took on two years ago to really come out with a, a platform they can address a lot of different sectors' needs and desires. So we'll mm -hmm. see how how it will it will roll out. But I am I am working on our 2021 January edition, our third iteration now. Yeah, and listening to you talk about the ways that STPI has pivoted, it really strikes me how much the art world, as you've pointed out, we drag our feet a little bit. You know, we like doing things with a certain the certain way, a certain way we've been doing it. And the pandemic has really forced our hand to think more creatively, but also to think more collaboratively, to think more digitally. And I think these are trends that we see happening throughout the world in many sectors, even pre-pandemic. Yes. And so, you know, while there's no way that it could be categorized as a good thing by any stretch of the imagination. The way that it's challenging us and we're rising to it, I think could be an incredible opportunity. And, and also, just because we're in this pandemic, we're in this anxiety about an economic crisis, people still need art. People are still interested in art. You know, one of the most astute things I heard someone say is that you know, if you think we should cut funding to the arts during this time, trying to get try to get through your quarantine without music and books and TV <laughs> yes. shows and the art yes. on your walls, like, like if anything, you know, we need it now more than ever. And yes. so hopefully this will be a good new world for people in the art world for thinking creatively and um, and in the end, you know, really coming through more accessible and more transparent about the way we do things, which I think is something that the art going public has wanted for quite some time. Yes, I mean, I think, you know, I'm not sure if you heard about this whole rage and scan kind of a scandalous thing that happened in Singapore uh, was that um, they did a survey to find out which sector was least needed. Mm. And arts came out as the non-essential sector. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and with people not realizing, as you just said, to to imagine to to go through a quarantine in a room without music or TV or reading, right, books, people don't realize that their their lives are so embedded within the arts. Mm -hmm. They don't realize it. So I think that by making the arts in all forms, not only visual arts, even though we're talking about visual arts, all forms of arts to be 
pronounce to the public that you are actually surrounded by the art. (laughs) I think this is what we need to do. And I always said that, um, you know, arts always people are very scared of um, approaching or going to museums or galleries because it is such a highbrow experience, but it right. is not, right? We know right. that, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why I've been realizing that C Focus has to be something that everybody can approach with ease and with not such high walls, right? So hopefully. Um, this is some. This is a plan that it, I, I'm putting in the long term. So we. But I think that when I look around, I think this is what other entities are trying to do as well. Yep. And by having it on t- digital platform, we'll be reaching many, many different types type of demographics. And I think that is good. And yet, we still do need to have the physical art to be seen and be experienced with. I think that is also very, very uh, vital thing that we must have. Yes. And that is a conundrum or I guess it's a it's a dichotomy that I think about so often is this real need for things to be accessible digitally, for things to be accessible, you know, culturally to people, but also, you know, nothing replaces the experience of standing in front of a work of art. Right, yes. And one of my favorite things that I've heard in doing this podcast is I had an interview with um, Bernard, who runs a contemporary printmaking gallery in Chicago. It's the Mesh Fine Art Gallery. Mm. And one of the things he said is that, you know, if you like a work of art in a photograph, if you like it on your Instagram... 99.9% of the time, you're going to like it more in person. Like, right. And I think that's like a message that we really need to people to realize. Cause I think, you know, when you're shopping for, for clothes or shoes or I don't know, other objects, I say it's almost 50, 50 on that case, you know, if when you get it in person, if it will meet your expectations, but it's not true with art, like art for the most part is diminished by digital reproduction, not enhanced. And so you if you if you're moved by something if you're drawn to something aesthetically or spiritually when you see it in the little square on your phone it's only going to exceed those expectations in person right that's actually very interesting Miranda you put it that way because some of my collectors who have bought things by just looking at the the digital uh, image when they got when they received it that's like oh it looks different than what I saw but then that difference is because cause things that they could not see on the digital format Mm -hmm. they're seeing it in real I just realized that yeah yeah and so I'm hopeful that the pandemic will sort of force the hand of the galleries and of the art patrons to kind of embrace this new way of engaging and realizing that it's extremely fruitful and rewarding and it's not the same you know as getting to you know, buy a ticket to Paris or London or Abu Dhabi, you know, and go have that experience in person. But it still is a rewarding way to interact with your world and enrich your life through the consumption of art. Yes. I mean, and you would know that for our sector, prints, or even for works that are made from SDPI, because we, we combine prints and paper print and paper and we come up with so many different way of making art if you don't see it in person you're going to lose all the nuances yeah 
I mean, it yeah. is very, very difficult. I mean, as you would know, the lithography, to mm. see it on a digital format and to see the real lithog the lithography in real, you will not be able to see all those subtle nuances that you have in the gradation of the colors. I yes. mean, the, 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 the yeah, gradation of different, you know, monochromatic, especially in the, in, if, it, if the work is a monochromatic. And I think one of the particularly tricky things with lithography is that offset or reproduction lithography and fine art lithography, unfortunately, both look very similar in reproduction. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> because it's not until you yeah. are in person and you can you walk up yes. to it and you see you see how the the line holds its incredible form. That's right. Exactly. Um, so I that's you know the the whole problems of you know of limited edition fine art prints and limited edition fine art prints um, of course is you know a whole a whole bag of cats like yes, yes. <laughs> yeah well, yeah anyway well we but hope for the best I mean we do we just have to stay positive and do what we can right yes and I think I think that people who are drawn to the arts we're drawn here not because we're expecting an easy career or a simple career. And so I think we're well equipped, I think, to, to, to handle it. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Before we sign off, because we're reaching you know, our, our yes. hour recording mark here, please let people know who are listening, what is the best way for them to get involved if they're outside of Singapore? You know, where can they follow you? Where can they, you know, see the events? Like, as you said, Sea Focus, which is going to have a huge digital component to it now. So that means that you can be in New York or Vancouver, BC, and you'll be able to engage in what STPI is offering. How's the best way for them to do this? Well, I guess the, the best way for now is to go to our website uh, or follow us on our Facebook and Instagram. So STPI Gallery is is our Instagram and Facebook account or stpi.com.sg is our website. And for C-Focus is C-S-E-A-Focus, F-O-C-U-S dot S-G. That is our, yeah, for website, Instagram, and Facebook. So just watch out for, for that. Uh, we will be making announcement for Safe Focus 2021 edition pretty soon in the next week or so. Um, so hopefully you can find us there. Well, I will definitely put links in the show notes for this episode to everything you mentioned and um, if the C-Focus announcement is yeah is that forthcoming it'll yes. definitely come up before the episode and so I can put a link to that as well Thank so anyone you. listening they can just like open up their podcast app and take you right to information about that so Thank you, Miranda. Thank you so much, Emmy. It has been a delight to chat with you. And um, I will certainly let you and the team know when I've got a publication date for this. And um, I hope you have a, a wonderful Thursday. Um, Thank you. Yeah. yeah. It's raining here. It's been raining a lot in Singapore. I don't mm. know about Bangkok. Bangkok has been very, very rainy recently. I so. see. We're going into the rainy season. And today is the mid-autumn fest, so hopefully you will see a nice big full moon tonight. Oh, beautiful. Yes. Thank you for the heads up. I will look for that. I will look for that. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Take yes. care. Take care, you two, and Stay thank safe. you again. Yes. Yep. Thank Same. you. Right. Goodbye. Bye. Well, that's our show for this week. 
Join me again next week when my guests will be Amy Jane, Allison, and Claudia, aka The Print Girls. These artists are part of a female printmaking collective in South Africa. We'll talk about community in the time of COVID, why creating in female spaces can be so rewarding, and why we all need to be paying way more attention to the incredible print scene of South Africa. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing help, so much editing help, always editing help, from Timothy Pauschak, and music by the talented, wonderful Joshua Weber. Happy anniversary, guys. I'll see you next week. Bye.